2: And welcome to the Trek Culture Podcast I am one of your hosts, Sean Ferrick. Joining me is the ever effervescent Ellie Littlechild. How are you? How are you getting on?
1: I'm getting on very well It's very warm at the moment though I could do this- without this this heat
2: yeah, this is, this is getting somewhat ridiculous. But hey, don't worry, climate change, total hoax, right? Uh, joining us, which I'm delighted to say, is our wonderful, he is a friend of the channel, but more importantly, he's a friend of Star Trek in general. He is co-executive producer and... Story editor. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the story, uh, editor, of story <laughs> editor of season two, Aaron Wolke. I just want to throw out there that this man is so kind that this is not the first time I've even tried to say that title and have made complete names <laughs> of it. Thank you very much, <laughs> sir. How are you?
0: Hey, uh, glad to, to be here. Thank you for uh, having me on on such uh, on such a late British hour. Uh, or Irish hour.
2: Uh, absolutely fine. Absolutely fine. Uh, we are delighted to talk to you. Um, first questions first. Now, it's normally warmer in L.A., but it's roughly the same heat as the surface of the sun here. So
0: what's it like wow. for you? I mean, weather wise, it's, you know, it's been a little odd. Uh, I don't know if you were following the the news, but about two weeks ago, we had a hurricane hit Los Angeles and then an earthquake happened in the middle of the hurricane so it was the first hurricane that i have encountered um you know in my life i even though i've i've definitely been a part of both separately but never never together they're like chocolate and peanut butter um you know the the weather has been a little in flux but you know lately it's actually been quite nice uh so i'll i you know sorry to have stolen all of your balmy uh summertime weather
2: well actually do you know what i will say that's grand, you know. We, you know, we, we'll we'll take the extremes of heat here. I say extremes of heat, folks. Like we're talking about, like you know, l- low twenties. It's warm for us, okay. But like y- you've been through it over the last month or so, so you can have this kind of nicer weather now for a bit because yeah, hurricane. Like I've never <laughs> been in either, so I don't want to be in both at the same time.
1: It's really the start yeah. of the apocalypse.
0: <laughs> it kind of <laughs> felt like it a little bit, yeah. Uh, it's weird, like you know. I growing up, I I, uh, I spent a good portion of my life in uh, Central Indiana, which was just at the tail end of what in America is called Tornado Alley. So, I also every year there was a stretch of about uh, three to four weeks where it was almost guaranteed a tornado would touch down within a month, mile and a half of my house. <laughs> so, I've I've been through almost every type of natural disaster, uh, with the exception of maybe like. A volcano erupting? That's on my bucket list.
1: (laughs) You know, we do complain about having, you know, miserable weather over here, but at least we don't have those extremes. The worst
0: we get is just a lot of rain. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of fog, a lot of rain. So uh, everyone who's
2: been following you knows that we have been lucky enough that um, I've got to meet you in person. Um, I know Ellie as well. She's been out to the offices. This is the first time you have actually like, live spoke to each other. But funny enough, the first time I ever went to your offices, it was chundering rain. I mean, it was proper, <laughs> proper rain that day. Yeah,
0: you you clearly uh, brought the... the uh this spitting uh in hawaii they call that spitting pineapple juice where it's just it's constant uh yeah downpour very unusual for la but we were lucky to have it certainly I,
1: I think it's a track culture curse of visiting la because i came to la earlier this year and the entire time i was there it was overcast and cloudy you come to la for the sunshine and i had fun <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I feel like there was one time you came out when, I think when you went to see the Vasquez Rocks, Sean, yes. that, that you, when I saw you, you you were bright red and you're like, oh, <laughs> that's what sunshine is.
2: Oh yeah. No, like that was, that was the day I, uh, genius that I am. Uh, keeping in mind, I'm Irish and three seconds in the sun generally is fatal for us. And, <laughs> you know, I went out to Vasquez Rocks and we were, you know, we, we filmed two lists, I think it was, because we were like, come on, we've got to be here. We've got to get the Vasquez Rocks behind you. It was great. One of the videos I'm wearing a red shirt and you can actually see the tone beginning to match my skin as you watch <laughs> through the video. Um, and of course it goes, I didn't realize because why would I? There's a picture of you and me standing beside each other. And <laughs> I I've tried every filter. I'm not going to
0: lie. <laughs> it's just, just, just switch it to black and white. That's the only way.
2: <laughs> might, might, might have tried that. Not going to lie. First of all, Star Trek Prodigy. Um, The first thing I want to say is season one was a flipping knockout. All right. We loved season one. We'll get into everything as it goes along. But just season one, how do you feel about the reaction to season one now that everyone has seen the full season?
0: I mean... I, I can certainly speak for myself, but I think this sentiment is shared by a lot of the crew as well. That that it's deeply gratifying because you have to remember a lot of this stuff was meticulously planned out, uh, uh, you know, years in advance. And we were like, I think if we play our cards right, they will start feeling like this, and then and then by the end of it, they'll be su- almost surprised at how the, the the track was laid the whole time to bring our our this sort of misfit crew it. it into the uh under under the aegeus of starfleet and make it seem like they were meant to be a part of it the whole time um and so seeing that unfold in real time was was quite a journey but i'm i'm glad that everyone finally uh you know has had a chance to see what we were doing for the first 20 and obviously can't wait for people to see what we're doing with the next 20 um because you know it it was kind of funny because there's like oh there were a lot of uh reactions of just like oh there's there's hardly any starfleet in this in this first couple episodes like yes that was by design just wait till episode six <laughs> and then and then uh you know and then they're like oh you know i i wish that there was a little bit more you know drama with with janeway's uh, with admiral janeway's storyline uh or or i wish there was a, the real jane was in this and then you could hit to episode 10 and then, and then uh, obviously there was like, oh, I, I where are they going to go with the the Admiral Janeway storyline? They can't keep that going forever. And then there, there was the reveal of of uh, Asencia, and so it was just like all these cool, fun little uh, sort of uh, proximity mines we had planted along the way that were hitting just as we were expecting people to be like, all right, what's the next phase <laughs> of the story? And uh, no, it was it's been great. Now that it, all twenty are out, all I see is you know, people proselytizing the show and saying, you know, like, if you haven't seen it, you have to see it at whatever preconceptions you have about it. You know, they are completely reinvented or, or will surprise you with, you know, you just have to stick with it and see what they did with it as a whole. And that's been great.
2: You know, it's really uplifting to hear how positive that, and that positive feedback has got to yourselves this is i suppose the 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 wonderful side of things like social media that we can connect to the people who make the show as well because i think listen trekkies we've been known for having opinions um, um. Sure. yeah I, I i know i know this will come as a shock um and um look i'm i'm not going to say that i'm not like that myself it's it's funny because this has been with there was obviously a gap in the middle, but this has been a week to week show. And these, you know, these questions that come up, like, Oh, I wish there was more stuff I wish it was that. It's like, imagine what we all were saying when like next gen season four was coming out. Leon, you know, we're like, I wish we had, oh. had more wharf stories or or something like that. It's like, but just wait and watch the season as it comes <laughs> out then.
0: No, it's, it's wild if, you know, just watching, even just trying to watch like season one of the next generation and try to put yourself in the mindset of people whose only exposure to Star Trek was the the TOS crew and then the movies, and then they see that and it's, and it's, more or less wiped the slate clean. Even the, the Galaxy class looks totally different from you know the Constitution class, even the or the refit or what have you. So they're just sit, and then ever, everyone is very philosophical and stoic, and it's about just di- diplomacy. And I it's I can imagine what a shock it was. Because but you have to remember, like the only way that you will sort of expand a franchise is you have to kind of go as far afield as you can, plant your flag and then and then you know basically declare this is now part of the purview of Star Trek and then that in a way that opens up so many storytelling possibilities uh that aren't completely divested from the Star Trek or the franchise that you know and love it's just you have to be willing to kind of you know go over that next horizon to see what's out there which ironically you know i think just because the the franchise has been around for so long sometimes it can feel a little codified and that you know it's very easy to forget that that rick berman was making this stuff up too you know he Mm. he invented a bunch of aliens he created whole new scenarios whole new rules that were very different from what came before uh but now now that we've had a chance to digest it and internalize it and have myriad conversations as our fellow fans about why this happened or what happened then it at that point, it becomes sort of like our understanding of the canon. And so that's that's the interesting balance that you always have to strike, I think, when you're dealing with some of franchises beloved as Star Trek is, you know, I think sometimes when I see People say, "Oh, this is the show that I would make," and it and it all. It's just kind of like filling in the gaps between like two very narrow <laughs> windows of just like I want to do a series that's specifically set during the Joran War in these three months, and I'm, because I think there's a reticence to go beyond and and create new because they don't want to step on anyone's toes, but I think it's. It's endemic in the, the franchise itself is that you are expected to seek out those strange new worlds and strange and new civilizations and be and surprise yourself at what feels appropriate or maybe challenges you. Is it was that too much of an answer? <laughs> I,
2: I think I think that's it. Right. Thanks very much for dropping by. I think that's everything. Kind <laughs> <of corporate. laughs> um, but no, to, like, because you're that that's an excellent point that I want to pick up on about you know this idea of. You know what is okay to expand on, what is not. I mean, as I say, the idea of it, um, like you know, uh, Prodigy is a spiritual, if you like, sequel to Voyager, but it is still very much its own show. Sure, you you'll get more of a benefit if you've seen Voyager and indeed the other series as well. To a certain extent, it's not reliant on you having seen Voyager. All right, we get to episode ten, and it certainly helps. But yeah, sure, you know, what were the challenges in the first ten? that you faced of not making um the you know the episode 1 basically end game part 2
0: right well i mean i think it helped you, you kind of touched upon it there in that first and foremost in the writers room we wanted this to be the story of our young crew you know and uh you know uh, we, we that in and of itself kind of gave us an opportunity to if as long as we put that forward first it would keep us from falling into the trap of of uh only making episodes that are entirely reliant on having seen other shows you know not not to rag on the other star related uh franchise uh but i think that 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 is something that a trap that they have fallen into recently where where sometimes they will not bother introducing an episode or a character in an episode or or make it feel like all of the emotional resonance requires you to already have seen the other shows which you know if you're trying to bring in new fans is a little difficult. So we always told it from the perspective of like what it let's put the audience in the in the command chair with these outsiders and experience the world of Star Trek firsthand for the first time through their eyes. And in doing so it kind of brings a slightly fresher take on on the franchise. It provides an entry point. And, you know, it also it harkens to some of my favorite like Star Trek, which is like Deep Space Nine, where half the cast is non-Starfleet and all they're doing is commenting on it. <laughs> All, all of the uh, sort of uh, eccentricities uh, of G- Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future and their shortcomings, uh, and then, but then answering it in a way of saying, well, maybe the the ideals don't match the reality, but how do you bridge that gap between the two? Which is very Star Trek, and that's in every show. <laughs> um, so, with our sh- with Prodigy in particular, it was very much a balancing act of like, how do we keep this. You know focused on the the story of dal and gwen and jankum and zero and rock talk and murph um and but also find these little touchstones of like w- w- many of which i think were sort of taken for granted perhaps by hardcore star trek fans of like the fundamentals of what makes a good star trek series you know uh i i think if if you had to explain to somebody who had never seen it before you know how a transporter works i think uh, or even like what the prime directive is <laughs> there aren't in very many episodes that that um break it down very cleanly a lot of them kind of come in from the perspective of we already know what a tra- how a transporter works here's an interesting little you know tidbit about it uh, and I was shocked that until uh, Prodigy, that we had never actually heard a solid definition of what the prime directive was. It had never been seen on screen. It was always just kind of alluded to or, or paraphrased, but never shown outright. Like here is what the, the, you know, general order number one States. Um, and, you know, thankfully, David uh, Goodman uh, acclaimed star Trek writer and, uh, i think former president of the wga um and hardcore uh, star trek fan himself uh wrote what the general order number 1 was in one of his books that i think the 100 star trek the first 150 years and so we were like, that's a great definition. Let's just drop it in there. And David messaged me afterwards and he was like, thank you so much, because I worked so hard on that to, to make it com- conform to everything we knew about uh, something that had never really been explained. And so getting a chance to do that, to add to the canon and clarify while introducing new people to it was really fun.
1: I think the way that you just described that to me is, you know, when people will go, oh, well, it's just for kids. The way mm-hmm. you've just described that there really highlights the fact that yes okay there are elements of it that are are aimed at children but the fact that it's breaking down these things that some fans know about and some fans don't that's the that's the real big thing here I mean we we're talking about you know trying to do something different to others and we've had this discussion before where actually children are the one kind of demographic that weren't targeted until now with Star Trek but the way that you guys have done it kind of Really highlights that yes, some parts are for children, but it's really more than that. It's for everybody.
0: Yeah, and that's something that I think we've always, the Hagemans, myself, and and many of the other writers on Prodigy, you know, anytime we've worked with the so-called uh, co-viewing or YA uh, space of animation, we our, our mandate was always. Let's write a series that we would enjoy watching ourselves. You know, we don't want to ever talk down to children, or make it, you know, dumb it down, or make it just seem like, oh, this is something that the that parents will grin and bear it while their kids enjoy. Like let's let's put something in there for everybody, um, and make it so it it stands on its own in the very thing that it's evoking. And that's definitely something that we did on Tales of Arcadia, uh, where we just kind of wrote it as a live-action Amblin movie. <laughs> and you know, the, the, I think Amblin is a great uh, example of um, what in the business is called four quadrant storytelling. Um, you know, where young, young, old, male, female, and everybody in between uh, can walk out of a out of a movie like E.T. or Jurassic Park and having having gotten a, a very satisfying experience out of it. Um, and that's, that's always been our goal, you know, and, and it's harder for us because we don't have the budget of Jurassic Park, but, uh, you know, we, we try. And I think that, that, that's sort of the spirit of that shines through.
2: It's, it's funny though, that you mentioned of not having the budget of Jurassic Park. Now, obviously technology has come along with Star Trek. It's come on so much. If, you know, if we compare extreme to extreme, compare the cage to any, single frame of Star Trek Prodigy. Okay, you can see how everything has come along so much. Just the other day, I was introducing someone to uh, the first two episodes of Prodigy, and they kept turning to me and just being like, you said this was a kid's show. And I'll be like, I didn't say this was a kid's show. I said this was a kid-friendly show. And they would, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then a few minutes would go (laughs) by. But you said it's like... um, And to Ellie's point there, I think this has been a fantastic example of trying to bring in new viewers that bit earlier, which is not easy in a franchise as deeply steeped in lore as Trek is. God knows we try and do enough with Easter eggs and, and you know, lists. You know, you're sitting there in the office being like, huh, we could, everything could turn or, you know, you know, succeed or flop on, you know, the shield frequency. Uh, which of course <laughs> is always 257.4 sorry
0: <laughs> correct
2: as a fan as like you're very you, you were outed as a trekkie quite some time ago so i mean yeah but as a fan as you are what you know what restrictions did you place on yourself when it comes to we have to tell a news story I've been given a big box of Star Trek toys and I want to put them all in every episode, every time, you know, was there anything <laughs> right. you know, like, even in the first 10 that you were like, Oh no, no, I'm going to save that for a bit of a later date.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I think sometimes there's this sort of, um, there there's an impulse to just take all the fun stuff and all the things that you, of uh, just in, that, you know, is coming up in the story and shove them all up front. Um, but i think that i think especially with a long-form storytelling experience like prodigy uh, esteems to you have to be willing to reveal turn over your cards one at a time because if you turn over too many at one time it none of them matter but Mm. but so so you know obviously episode six which i alluded to before which is the kobayashi episode that was just like a fire hose of star trek lore But that was also kind of the point. And I think the reason that that worked, I think at least in our minds uh in the structure of the show was we the the novelty of a of a character who knows very little if anything about what any of these characters mean (laughs) or what what the significance of the kobayashi maru was and you know just as a a new kid might be like i don't know what the kobayashi maru is and then dropping that in them into the middle of that and the irony of them real learning firsthand in real time why it's good to have a a competent crew, why it's good to, you know, push your crew first, and hearing who better to hear it from than arguably the main characters of Star Trek, especially you know, Leonard Nimoy Spock. So, you know, I think that, that there it just so happened that the first two episodes that I wrote solo for Prodigy um, were very much the lore dump episodes, but that that's partially because, like, I didn't mind taking that on, and and uh, also, I always like I love taking what I call uh tiramisu episodes where there's like so many layers <laughs> that they easily can become too much, but but as long as you kind of keep a thematic through line um you can you can shape them and the w- the the way you shape them is through the character arc of your main characters it, you don't just have it be um novelty for novelty sake you don't just have nostalgia for nostalgia's sake you see how it affects your main characters that are effectively a tabula rasa uh, and, and hopefully the, the people watching along with them will understand why this, this character is cool or why the needs of the many out, outweigh the needs of the few. Um, you know, and I, I think, um, another aspect that you know it takes a very delicate hand with is like allowing characters to progress kind of at their own pace you know i mean obviously there's there's arguments to be to be had of like oh i wish they this character had this character turn earlier or later but you know we we tried to stick to a, a scheme that we knew worked which is you know we had sort of 10 episode chunks that were hmm. essentially like a little self-contained arc and within an arc, you can break that down just the same way you would a movie, where you have like a, an opening act uh where they're sort of like in a comfortable place, but there's clearly a need, and then there's a midpoint where there's sort of a bit of a reversal and then escalation, uh, and then uh uh climax and then a denouement. And and so we tried to like we tried to kind of pick our battles, I guess, where we introduce new characters. Uh, or where we where we dropped a huge bit of lore within our show that tied directly to the rest of the Star Trek universe, um, and then the rest of it was just pure character. It was just like, where are we? Are where are we in Dal's journey as a, as a captain? Where are we in Gwen's journey of realizing the error of her father's ways and uh, sort of making a a, a repentance in that. Um, and that, I think, is what, what keeps people watching is, you know, obviously people want to see Scotty again, but, <laughs> but I think that what, what keeps people invested is seeing, you know, these, these sort of misfit teens uh, learn selflessness and come together as a crew for the greater good. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
2: Of a lot of the characters across the franchise, I think Dal's arc is very, very well defined to the point of I found him deeply annoying in the first few episodes. And by the end of the season, I I went, I really like his journey. I really like that the story, it didn't it didn't do any overt uh, don't worry, he's going to be amazing by episode 13 or anything in the early ones, because you, you could have you could have easily been forgiven for going, you know, don't worry, he might be, you know, obviously he has good, good parts. I'm not saying he's completely irredeemable character in episode one, episode two, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, you know, by the time we get there, that arc is completely pays off. And you believe that, you know, Starfleet Academy is an inevitability. So then, of course, you went and threw the genetically engineered twist in there and you were just like, hey, you started to like Dal now, didn't you? Now here's pain, (laughs) pain for everyone. Right.
0: Well, with the specific that specifically that twist of finding out that he was sort of a new form of augment and uh, and the question of what that means for his dreams of joining Starfleet you know i mean that's just that's classic like unstoppable force meets an immovable object of like mm-hmm. oh my gosh uh, you know there's that's emotional conflict right there that, but uh on top of that you know i think some when especially when we're talking about the back half of season 1 we we were like we don't want this just to be a story about how starfleet changes our young crew but we also thought wouldn't it be interesting if even in some small way uh it's a story about the outsider's perspective has a value in the federation and they they in turn can influence starfleet for the better um and you see a little bit of that i think especially in that final trial scene where they're sort of arguing about the kids on their merits and and you know should they really be rejected sh- just because of where they're from and and their beginnings and you know we you started to see a little bit of that kind of metaphor for You know the legal system as a an avenue for justice uh, for for people that are genetically uh, augmented uh, a little bit in Deep Space Nine, but even then, I feel like they left that a very open-ended like we don't know how to resolve this (laughs) kind of question and it always kind of stuck in my craw a little bit of just like is that really where we're just going to leave that is like julian Bashir is like a one-off case and then but his father still gets sent to prison for two years and um you know it doesn't feel like a result and you know i i studied the law quite a bit um in college um you know one one uh sort of coursework I, I I actually did that has never left me it was a it was a cross colloquial course that was law as theater and it essentially looked at the through the lens of Supreme Court cases how when it really comes down to it when you get to the the highest court in the land the you know legal questions are answered uh yes through precedent, but ultimately they are through, performance but and also through uh, you know r- kind of pulling back the layer of like look this is this is all a fiction and it's it what are are we obeying the letter of the law or are we willing to use use it as uh, something where we can uh, redefine um you know what we consider legal or not? based on, you know, the the times, which is I think what at least in America, the Founding Fathers always kind of envisioned. I think, uh, but I, I think it's very easy just to kind of just to say, well, that they have reasons for that and things should just be the way they are. But you know, whether Star Trek is a utopia or a protopia, I think it, it was very interesting to us, especially in those final moments of season one, to say we got like Star Trek is a utopia in progress. And you 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 for, forever refine it and and redefine it in order to make a more perfect union or a more perfect federation. And I thought that was something very sweet that uh, you know that Janeway uh, you know stood up for them purely on principle, and they were in a very small way able to move the needle towards a more nuanced understanding of of the rights of augments. Was that too deep of a of an answer? Sorry. I like talking about this stuff. What I, what I really like about that um
2: and actually I'm good Ellie. Hello. So <laughs> you so you are it's not that you're as we've discussed many times, it's not that you're brand new to Star Trek, but maybe a Star Trek as concentrated as you've been going through it recently, like you've, we, we have not made it easy for Ellie. Uh, like, you know, it's, it's like, you know, kind of, <laughs> did you have plans this weekend? No, you didn't. Um. So, this idea of Prodigy being, let's say, a show designed to bring these new viewers in. So, I'm for it, just for its argument, I'm going to count you as that. Sorry, Ellie. Mm-hmm. No, um, go for it. <laughs> but having watched Voyager, and I know you've watched the original series as well. How do you feel it's achieving that um, retelling of classic tales while bringing in modern tales, while also keeping it just light enough that it's not <laughs> beating you over the head?
1: No, I think that it's done a really good job of that. I mean, I kind of wish in hindsight, because of the way it's explained in a kind of almost, not simpler way, but a way that's designed to appeal to people that are new to the show, I kind of wish that I'd watch Prodigy earlier than I did because it might have explained things to me a little bit simpler <laughs> than the way I was trying to figure things out. But I I purposely left it because I wanted to watch it after Voyager because I thought I wasn't going to get it if not. And actually it turns out that whilst Voyager is important in some elements of the story, it's actually, like you said, it's kind of secondary to, to these new characters. So I, yeah, I kind of wish I'd watched it earlier <laughs> and it might have explained things to me in a much simpler way.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I I was just going to say, all of that, we had to try to do all of that while also keeping it to 22 minutes an episode. (laughs) Which is...
2: Like, you know, was there ever a a point where you were like, if we just ask nicely, they'll allow us to make every episode three hours long with an intermission?
0: (laughs) Well, the short answer is, yeah, we daydreamed, like, if only this was a 44-minute episode. uh, Because there are so many... It's funny when you go back and watch... Uh, you know the classic star trek uh, that there are a number of occasions where they'll have like three or four like boardroom scenes where they'll they're just kind of like discussing the pros and cons uh before they actually go to the surface and 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 in our our show we're like we have time for one of those maybe (laughs) and then um but what's but in the back of my mind, I was like, yeah, this this story kind of had to go a little faster. But I'm like, if we had just put in like one or two more boardroom scenes, Star Trek fans would be like, this is perfect. I have no no notes, um, but that it, it makes the pace a little faster. But you know, I think that in a way, that does help with with um, today's viewing audiences, especially there is an impatience. I would say that uh, that you know, doesn't always allow people to just enjoy Star Trek for what it is, um, you know, if if they're not girding their loins for it, <laughs> you know?
1: No, I would definitely say that's that is true as as one of those newer viewers. I We've been watching some of the original series quite recently, and it is noticeable how much slower paced things are. And being used to things now, you are kind of like, okay, you've talked about it now, you can... Just move on just a little bit. Yeah. okay. Oh, no, we're just going to talk about it a little bit more. And you're you're (laughs) right. It is kind of newer audiences, which obviously you're always aiming to attract the newer audience. I think that definitely is something that appeals more so than lots
0: of talking. yeah and sometimes that was by necessity too it sounds like I'm criticizing Star Trek but I'm not it you know it it's just it was the flavor of that particular era of TV where you know it, it was almost like meditative um in mm. a way you know like that um uh, I think it was Jerry Orbach who said like you know why do you think that uh, Law and Order is like the most popular show on television, even though it's very sort of formulaic, and the, and there's just a, a lot of scenes you've seen before. And he said he described it as like there's a great comfort in that sort of communal experience. He said it was almost like going to mass or something, where you you do you you know it's like okay, here comes the uh, the uh, the the big twist of the of the episode. Here's the the scene where they have uh, dinner at ten forward and discuss their feelings, you know here's here's the quiet moment where where uh data uh speaks to spot uh to spot and you know it was very much like um i think it's yes it's it's of its time but i think a lot of star trek fans really enjoy that i think um but for for us it was it was unfortunately more of a luxury than a a, uh de rigueur Uh,
2: it is it's funny just recently um Uh, uh, strange new worlds obviously did a courtroom episode and the memes that came out straight away afterwards were very trekkie you know you know trekkies when there's big space battles we're like oh yeah that's cool trekkies when there's a slow meditative courtroom episode it's like yes (laughs) this is us this is brilliant um and and yeah and appealing to a fan base like that while also keeping the newer fans in mind it's just like right so it reminds me of that thing from the simpsons where the guy is trying to do the you know the the um what you call a focus group and it's like yes. so right you want you know magical powers but you also want realism yeah yeah sounds about right yeah that's <laughs> right
0: yeah you, you want deeply grounded emotional characters while also having uh flying talking robots with magical powers made of chocolate yes <laughs>
2: yeah yep yeah, Sounds sounds about good all right cool green light that show that's going ahead um and it it, but it is it's funny uh, because there's many there's many similarities both on the screen and surrounding prodigy and the original series the original series had the same challenge of like well it's by its very nature it's got a new audience like you're you're, you have to win people over week by week and there is of course now uh, there is a big similarity in that the original series was also not without its challenges um and we saw it it came back that's a big thing because of trekkies and aaron i'm not sure if you're aware but there's been a bit of a a, a hashtag save star trek prodigy movement there uh recently yes. i think there was there might have been a plane or something
0: <laughs> there was um, indeed a plane yeah yeah i mean that the save star trek prodigy movement's been pretty uh amazing and deeply heartening to behold for everybody involved and you know it is making a difference you know i as i i said at star trek las vegas this year um you know our our show is curr- currently in active talks to find a new home you know and that it did these efforts of you know the fans f- funding <laughs> a banner to fly over the streamers which is truly wild to me um uh, but is not unprecedented that's something that was done both i think with the expanse and also with timeless and both of those shows also got uh renewed for more seasons um but it it hearkens all Back to the original series, you know, letter-writing campaign with uh, B. Joe and John Trimble, um, and it it is one of those things where I think Star Trek fans are among the most passionate you will ever encounter anywhere and uh i i more so than many other i think franchises it's i think viewed as more of a movement than it is just some entertainment that people like because uh partially because it does represent a better future and there is an aspirational element that all of us just kind of want to be the future where you know we are able to kind of get past our differences and uh, and no longer have despair or inequality uh, on on the whole and money is no longer the driving force of our lives and uh people's needs are met so that they can just pursue the things that they are interested in like who doesn't want that that's the pro- that's uh you know progress that is the the dream uh, uh and uh so i i think seeing uh the reaction to star trek prodigy and the and the, the fandom rallying around it and in a in a, a somewhat ironic way, I feel like it's found an even bigger audience now. Uh, because, you know, there were a lot of people like like Ellie that they're like, I have nothing against it, but I want to catch up on the other ones first. Sure. And, you know, the, I think the, the era of streaming, just because there is so much television on right now, there there can be a little bit of a completely understandable complacency of like, well, it'll be there for when I, I get around to it but then obviously we're kind of in a different transitional space ne- where that's not necessarily true anymore uh and that's happened on every single streaming channel now of like you know it's it's sort of a use it or lose it kind of situation uh but uh, i think that that between the petition getting 33,000 plus signatures now and And the banners and the the campaigns and the fan art, um, you know, it it is really moving the needle and making a difference. You know, it has not gone unnoticed. I know it's very easy you know, to say, oh, you know, the, the days of letter writing campaigns are over. It doesn't mean anything. But, you know, the, the Blu-rays for our show are, have sold out multiple times. The action yeah. figures were sold out multiple times. And it's not, there shouldn't be a revelation, but like money talks. And if the, if people feel there is untapped potential in a project like ours, then it it it's good news for that project. <laughs> so I think with our show, I, you just have to just keep the faith be patient. These sorts of things take a very long time to sort out, but it is trending very positively. And you know, if you just keep it up, keep up the keep up the movement, keep Star Trek uh, Prodigy in your hearts and on your social media timelines, uh, we should expect some very good news.
2: Oh, we've uh, definitely
1: been doing that, <laughs>
2: <laughs> and it's been because for 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 all of for all of the reasons you said. I mean, it's one of the heartening things to come out of what could potentially have been a, say a sad start to a story is how quickly people rallied. Um, And you're, you're so right in that. Yes, there is a hundred million episodes of Star Trek to digest. So there is this idea uh, of, Oh, you know, I'll get to that one. I'll get to that one. Um, The, the one thing that still, I think baffles a lot of us is it's 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 one thing about potentially saying, look, we we you know we may or may not pick it up for a second, it's, it's the removal that I think has really I think galvanized people as well because it almost feels uh, and I'm just throwing this out there myself as a fan, it almost feels personal. It almost mm-hmm. feels like, oh come on, I want to watch this. You you've taken it away. So so thank God for things like hard copies, thank god for things like Blu-rays. You know, we can um as of the recording of this. Uh, you know, I know full season, we are on pre-order um, and pre-order again. And there's a wait list, which I'm, you know, it's like, it might be frustrating to be on the wait list, but I'm delighted there is one.
0: Yeah. And I think that, you know, I, I can tell you, what, I don't, as far as I know, it's it, it the decisions that, that are made of which, which shows stay, which shows go, are, are so high level that I I don't think that, that there is any forethought beyond just like what works for their particular financial financials at that particular time. But- what well, what I will say is like what it's kind of interesting that the age of streaming is kind of built on this benevolent, uh, I guess, idea or assumption that all shows will just be uh, available. Uh, every show ever made will be available forever, for all time, at your fingertips. And I think for for better or for worse, that that's proving to not be a model mm. in the strictest sense. So in a way we are kind of returning back to you know the way television was back in the 90s I guess where you know shows could be aired and then they would no longer be on a network and then you could eventually buy a DVD or maybe they would air in syndication somewhere else you know and then you will also have shows that would be produced by a studio and then sold to another network uh, to who to who would pay for the episodes and, and air them. And then when they were done with it, maybe another network would pick it up. And so you know CBS Studios might might produce or ABC Studios might produce you know um, a show for Fox and then that show would get picked up by NBC, you know, like it's a it's it, it's it's a very complicated web. and this idea that everything is just kind of under one one studio that is selling to itself, I think is it's an idea that is relatively new to to the streaming world and it does it seems like people are kind of stepping back from that. Uh mm-hmm. but I don't think stories are going away. I think that I think that in a way we're just they're trying to just move back to modes that were profitable in the past and um you know as long as there is television <laughs> I think there will be Star Trek
1: so in a way, what you're saying is that you're going as authentic as you possibly can with Star Trek to go back to how they used to do it. Ooh, so yes. you know, stop relying on streaming. Let's go back to how it <laughs> used to be. We are Star Trek. We will be fully authentic.
0: <laughs> right. Well, I think it's just like the syndication model. That's how I kind of see it. Right. It's like you know, as long because I I actually watched most of Deep Space Nine uh, in syndication. Like it because my local Fox affiliate, I believe, would air it. Uh, every day in chronological order at, right when I got home from school. So I got to binge like most of Deep Space Nine <laughs> on a daily basis at a time when they didn't have a word for that, <laughs> you know? So I, as long as Star Trek is out there somewhere, that's what all most matters to me and people are watching it. That's that's what I want.
2: <laughs> yeah, it it, it is. I, I think, Ellie, you put it brilliantly there. In a way, it is going back to the way a lot of us grew up with Trek, um, uh, I mean, this, you know, look at Next Gen. Next Gen was syndicated first run. um. Yeah. So uh, Prodigy will just be the testbed for what the next era of Star Trek is going to be. And it's going to, of course, start with season two of Prodigy, which I can't wait for. Uh, and you're now going to tell us all of the details about season <laughs> two of Prodigy and uh, w- which episodes are are we guesting in again? I forget.
0: <laughs> so obviously I can't really say much about season two because of NDAs. But, you know, we did release a clip at Star Trek uh, Las Vegas, um, which I encourage everybody to check out. That that was a teaser from the first episode, um, you know, you in which we found out that there is, the doctor is now the doctor is in. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, we reveal the Voyager A, which, you know, I think uh, a lot of people were very keen on seeing, especially now that both Picard and Lower Decks and our show have confirmed that the original Voyager, uh, after, uh, you know, basically being held together by bubblegum and duct tape and <laughs> riding the, the the Borg corridors uh, back, to, back to the Alpha Quadrant, uh, you know, once they finished studying it, they decommissioned it, and now it's a floating museum, which good on it I, uh, you've yep. earned it little intrepid class um, and so but then that raised the question of like we've seen the J in Discovery we've seen a little hint of the B in, um, in uh, Picard season 3 so then there was like well where, what about the A and it was really delightful to kind of Envision what a a new Voyager would look like with all of the technological advances that, that that Voyager had brought back, you know, and had a few years to study them and reverse engineer them. And also, you know what a ship would look like if if they were if Janeway was asked to recommission or rebuild a new exploratory vessel, knowing what she knows about, about the Delta Quadrant, like maybe it should use a little bit more a blade of armor, maybe, <laughs> like, mm, uh, because Voyager got rocked every episode. Let's be real; like every episode, it was like <laughs> shield zero percent, sparks uh, flying, couple
2: I of fire extinguishers, saying, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, like poor, poor old Voyager. But also at the- same time that i mean the engineering crew on voyager th- there <laughs> is you know I mean, it's a good thing that we don't work for money in the future because you could never afford to pay them <laughs> yeah. um not for the work that they do
0: no no I, th- I mean that and that's the obviously the answer but i think janeway is i was like hey maybe we could we could bulk up the the the, sh- <laughs> the armor a little bit on our ship it worked against the board queen um, and and you know there's and also to build a ship in this age of like sort of a a peacetime era which mm-hmm. we haven't seen in some time you know because um, obviously we had the 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 uh, Dominion War for some time and then and then uh, the dealings with the Borg Queen the threat of the Borg Queen but now we've you know the era of lower decks onward is it's, it's a, a relatively peaceful time where they can kind of get back to business as usual it's not about defending against the the dominion it's about let's just expand as far out as we can and explore and and conduct and conduct science aboard our science vessels and that it was very fun to kind of think about like okay what what would be on board a or or what could be on board a uh, an experimental science vessel uh you know in in the Spirit of the Galaxy class, which had you know <laughs> schools and uh, yeah. uh, aquariums and uh, botanical gardens <laughs> and all kinds of stuff.
2: Um, there were, I actually I want to ask because I I love the design of the Voyager A. Uh, to me, it's kind of like a like a like the Sovereign, the Nova, and the Intrepid all sort of had a bit of a party one night, uh, and we got <laughs> the Voyager A about it. But specifically, it was learning that it's Lamar class. Uh, that was super interesting because I will be honest, I I knew of Hedy Lamar, but that was about it. So where where did we go? Like because obviously, Hero Ship as well. We're going to be talking about Lamar class in those way, the way that we'll be talking about Intrepid class, and the way that we'll be talking about Excelsior Constitution. So wh- what was the process for picking Lamar, or was it as easy as it's Lamar class? That's it.
0: No, I, so, you know, we had a lot of conversation once we decided, uh, you know, what the hero ship would be, obviously there was a little bit of dalliance, shall we say of like, you know, could it be other, other ships, but we realized very quickly, like, uh, by the time we were done writing season two, that we definitely, it should, it should be the A, especially if the Dauntless was like in repairs after the, after the finale of, of season one, uh, what would be, what would a brand new sort of. Refitted starship class look like in like the mid 2380s, you know, uh, before obviously the the fleet was destroyed in utopia planitia and all that. Like, what, what, what could have been like the brand bold new fleet before that happened? Um, and so with H- Hattie Lamar specifically, we were like, well, what would be something that would be apropos of what we know both about Janeway and what she represents in, you know. Both the Star Trek community and the STEM community, and so you know, Hetty, uh, I believe was suggested by Dr. Aaron McDonald, our science advisor, um, who um, you know, as soon as she said it, I was like, oh, it has to be her, and then everybody's like, why? And then we proceeded to like do a deep dive on why, which is why because most people know her as this sort of old Hollywood starlet of of the silver screen. But you know, during World War II, she was also uh, a, a an autodidact, a self taught inventor and engineer, and she developed a type of uh, frequency hopping torne- uh, torpedo um, that essentially mechanically was the precursor to what we get for like Wi Fi. And arguably, you could say she is that. If you follow that all the way down, is the she's the godmother of subspace communications in a way. Um so uh it she was this amazing uh woman that you know she was I believe her husband w- like uh was like an arms dealer or something in World War II and was basically trying to sell torpedoes to the Nazis and then she she listened to how the torpedoes were made and then uh basically escaped and then uh, uh, said, went to the allies and said, hey, here's how their torpedoes work from what I heard. Here's how you can jam them, jam the frequencies so they can hit their target. It was pretty cool, actually. She's a really amazing woman uh, for many reasons, but both that, that sort of intellect, but also that old ho- Hollywood sort of charm felt like perfect synergy for uh, Janeway and for Kate Mulgrew herself. I love I'm lost now, for
1: words. <laughs> okay,
0: it's kind of like, what do you say?
2: We, we, we should all hope to have a legacy as cool as that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to wrap up now in a moment, Aaron. So just before I do, Ellie, do you have any last questions or anything yourself?
1: Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, there was something that, I mean, it's no secret how I feel about certain characters, certain um, <laughs> Voyager characters, but you definitely touched slightly upon the Janeway Cote situation um at star trek las vegas i think so i just wondered if you mm-hmm. wanted to elaborate
0: <laughs> well i mean obviously there was a, a major cliffhanger with uh at the end of season one where uh where janeway's number one was still lost in sort of like this alternate future timeline on uh on solemn the the where uh the diviner came from um and re- rest assured that that, that isn't <laughs> going to be just left dangling forever he's gone (laughs) janeway is is going to go after you know uh the person who meant so much to her and you know arguably was one of the reasons that endgame happened was because chakotay died and uh uh and tuvok obviously um had an incurable disease and so she was like she we know that janeway will never will do anything for her crew uh but especially you know her first officer who is her confidant Um, and some, someone that she's always relied on, I think that you'll, you'll discover very quickly, uh, that, that, um, you know, that bond has only deepened and continued as the, as the show has gone on, uh, as the show, uh, sorry, as their story has gone on. So, um, believe you me, like, like she, she is going to go rescue, uh, her first officer, Chakotay, um, and, uh nothing will stop her because as janeway said you know you you uh never abandon a member of your crew.
2: Now that we know thanks to uh Picard Season 3, we know Janeway's alive and well in 2401. How do we make her completely Borg proof? And um uh what to uh you know are, are we all gonna be no I'm only kidding of course. Um <laughs> I am super excited. Obviously, look, I'd love to be I'd love to end this with... right. I and Season 2 is going to begin on X date. So as as you know, as of right now, it will, you know, m- much like we're going to go and get Chakotay in the future, we will get Season 2 in the future. Um we don't know what medium yet. Um if needs be, I will start my own streaming service. No problem. <laughs> it, it 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 is grand. We'll have yeah uh, or just,
0: or, we, or, or, uh we're we're announcing it here sean flicks is where it's going to land so
2: <laughs> listen this this was i uh, really appreciate you uh you know helping me launch the channel really really like thanks and for, for being the flagship show as well uh sorry the budget we give you is about fiver. um but <laughs> <laughs> if you could did seasons three and four out of that you'd be grand
0: Sh- sean ferrick plus is a wonderful home and we're we're pleased to be part of it excellent
2: Um, excellent cool if there was anything that you could leave the leave in the audience's minds as we all hope for season two what would it be
0: um well as um as kevin has said a few times uh the you know season one was about how some some kids found a ship but season two is very much about how they earn a ship um you know so uh, as as we rejoin our our young uh sort of pre-cadets the uh, civilians being brought aboard a great starship um to kind of see how the the starfleet sausage is really made um i i think that there there is going to be a little bit of yearning i think for the good old days but um Nothing stays the same forever. And I think that seeing that that journey of that that crossing of the threshold of of the 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 cusp of adulthood, but also uh, holding on to what makes you unique as as a young person is something we can all relate to. and hopefully look forward to when season two comes out.
2: Aaron, thank you so much for your time. Thank you as thanks for everything, which doesn't seem to do it justice, but thank you very much for everything, <laughs> for all of the work, the passion. And of course, this goes to the entire team as well. Thank you for what has been an incredible first, not only first year of a show. Um, we will see season two, but look, thank you very much. Um, everyone, everyone, it seems that everyone I follow is already following you, but just in case there's one person is listening to this and, and doesn't follow you, where's the best place to reach out and find you online?
0: Yeah, so my last name is sometimes hard to pronounce and, and spell. So uh, you can find me at good Aaron. That's G-O-O-D-A-A-R-O-N. And uh, I'm on pretty much all the, the big social media platforms, uh, Instagram, X, um, and, uh, you know, Blue Sky, all of them uh, threads. So yeah, Good Aaron is where you can find me, and uh, anytime there's any bit of news about any projects I'm working on, uh, or a bit of about Star Trek or whatever, I'm always happy to share. So feel free to track me down there, and uh, I'll try to keep you up to date.
2: <laughs> Ellie, thank you very much for joining me this week. Um, obviously we can find uh, Trek Culture on Twitter. Uh, at TrekCulture we're on Instagram at TrekCultureYT Ellie where can we find you? Um,
1: Twitter, Instagram just search Ellie Little Child I'm also similar I forget what my username is on different ones because it varies but it's a very unique name so if there's something Star Trek related it's probably me
2: that's yeah that's true and i'm at sean ferrick on twitter as well folks thank you so much for listening and watching along we will be back with another episode of the trek culture podcast you're all awesome almost as awesome as Aaron.